You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, Northside. We hope and pray that you are all in. And all in, uh, last week, I had the opportunity to be in Medina. Before I explain that, just a second. Uh, today is our annual Thanksgiving offering. We've always done that the last, oh, many, many years. And it's been a special, special thing as we take up a special offering the Sunday before Thanksgiving uh, today because we're all in. That is going to go toward Medina. I'll explain that in just a second. But we've done some incredible things in the last several years. One year we took up uh, several thousand dollars to rescue kids out of the sex trafficking industry. Uh, one year we took up enough money to feed a village in Africa for about three years. And so we done some really incredible things. This year, the offering goes toward the Medina campus. As many of you know, we, our church, it was like we had a baby this last year. We gave birth to a new campus in Medina, and uh, it just has been phenomenal. I had a chance to preach there last week uh, for, to get to know some of the people, meet some or see some of the people I haven't had a chance to see for a while because they went up there, and it just is incredible how much it is uh, Northside up there. Um, one thing that I really want to encourage you, we're going to take up a love offering. Our goal is $100,000, uh, and we can reach that. I mean, that's a lot of money, but if we give two or three times the amount that we normally give, and I know that's a sacrifice, I know that we can reach that. Here's why. When you have a baby, sometimes you've got everything figured out, and you know exactly what it's going to cost, and all of a sudden it costs like two or three times the amount. Uh, we started it extremely well, but to make sure that it continues, we want to make sure that this uh, offering is generous for that Medina plant. The reason why I'm so excited about it is because this offering, or let me say the Medina campus, it is the one place that we can give that will multiply. Everywhere else that we've given, we have helped feed that village for three years. We've helped to rescue kids. But when we give to Medina, because they are north side, it will ultimately impact the kingdom. It will win more people to Jesus Christ. It will send missionaries out. It, it will um, double or triple the work that's being done here. And so it is an investment in eternity. And so we haven't taken up the offering. We'll do that at the end of the message. And I hope that you're all in. We'll give you uh, enough time during the sermon. If you're taking notes and want to slide right over that checkbook, you know, that's fine too. Um, but we'll take that up at the end. And I just pray that God moves and stirs your heart. Um, this uh, offering envelope, what's next? Uh, what's next is what God is going to do in Medina so that we hope that you are all in. Well, I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is this week. I, are you all in for that? You're ready for that? Every time, every time I think about eating good, here comes Thanksgiving and here comes Christmas. And it's like, okay, forget that. Uh, I wonder, you know, Thanksgiving is so much tradition. I wonder if one of the very first, very first uh, Thanksgiving that we had in our country I wondered if the women that were preparing the meal said something like this. I hope this doesn't turn into a tradition. <laughs> well, I think many of you know it's a tradition. There's food, there's family, there's football. Um, we're going to slide into a carb coma sometime on Thursday, probably a lot of us. You know, when we watch football, football's been described this way. You have millions of people that are in desperate need of exercise that are watching 22 men that are in a desperate need for rest. Isn't that true? It's also a pretty good description of the church, by the way. Um, you know, I want to start today testing your animal knowledge, all right? It's, when, when you're a single, you're called one thing, but when you're in a group, you're called something else. So let me test your animal knowledge. What do you call a group of turkeys since it's Thanksgiving? What do you call a group of turkeys? 
Gaggle? Hmm. It's a flock. I even double looked that up because I would have thought gaggle too. Uh, what do you call a group of ants? An army. What do you call a group of snakes? A den. We're not doing so good, are we? What do you call a group of dolphins? A pod. We got that one. Uh, what do you call a group of baboons? I would have thought most people have said Congress. Uh, you, <laughs> I have heard that definition for years. I actually looked it up, and it's not true. Um, now, you may call Congress a bunch of baboons, I, you know, but actually a, a group of baboons is called a troop. What do you call a group of oysters? A bed. What do you call a group of porcupines? A prickle. What do you call a group of vultures? A committee. Ooh, that may explain a lot, right? <laughs> what do you call a group of crocodiles? A congregation. We don't even go to go there, okay? But the, <laughs> the idea is, the idea is when, when you're talking about one, they're called one thing, but when you're talking about a group, they're called something else. And so as that group, they also function differently. When they're in a group, you have the strength of the group that provides a really a longer life for many of them. And one of them leaves the group, then that life a lot of times is dramatically shortened, plus the fact that um, the quality of that group actually goes down. Now, here's the next question. What do you call a collection of legs, arms, hands, fingers, liver, heart, lungs? What do you call that? You call that a body, right? So individually, they're all called a certain thing, but they all come together to form the body, and they all have a particular function that makes the body function properly in the way that God had intended it. Here's another question. What do you call a group of people who have surrendered the control of their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in gratitude for receiving the forgiveness of sins based on what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross? What do you call a group of people like that? You call them the church. Or the body of Christ. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, the church, that's what it is. You are the body of Christ, and each of you has a part in it, all right? So if God makes us all together a body, all the church, then all of us are part of that. Now earlier in verse 12, he explains what he's meaning here. Look at, let's read verses 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts. But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So what he's saying here is we all have different backgrounds, we have different educations, we have different uh, social economic statuses maybe, we all have, we come from different places, but, but when we come together and give our life to Christ, he makes us a part of the church, he makes us all together, one family, all in. So therefore, when we become a Christian, we are all in to the body of Christ and the family. And so he explains that during that passage. And he also explains that every part of the body has a specific purpose. Some of those purposes are, are noble and ignoble. Some of them are to be seen, and some are more modest and not to be seen. But they, all, they are all important, and they all function together and is important. So, in other words, we all have a job. So let me ask you the question, what's your job? If you're in the body of Christ, what's your job? In fact, turn to your neighbor and ask him that question. What's your job? What's your job? 
What's your job? Okay? Because we all ought to have a body, a, a job in the body. Look at Ephesians 4. From him, Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let me challenge you today to get in the game. To get in the game. If we're part of the body of Christ, we ought to be in the game and we ought to be functioning as he wants. I would hope that all of us would think about whatever part we play in the body of Christ, that we would all see ourselves as an impact player. Somebody that's going to make a difference in the kingdom and in the church when we come into that. So I want to challenge you to get out of the bleachers, get out of the pews, and get into the game, whatever that would mean for you, because that is what will matter for eternity when everything else doesn't. Now, if, if uh, I would ask you um, what the definition of how will your life be successful, what will it be known for, what, what, what would be important to you? I think one of the greatest answers to that question that I ever saw was found in Scripture. It is in the Bible. It's talking about King David. But look at Acts 13, what he says. When David had served his purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know of anything better that put on your tombstone than this guy gave his life to God. And when he served his purpose to God, then he died. He passed away. What a great epitaph that you would have on your tombstone that you have done that. And so, so I've got to ask, are you, are you on the field? Are you in the game? Are you making a difference? Is your, do you understand your purpose in life? And if you don't understand your purpose in life, you're going to really struggle with some of that. Now, uh, Ecclesiastes was written by one of the most, uh, uh, the wisest persons that's recorded in the Bible. His name was Solomon. And he talked about the meaningness of life. And when you don't have life as a, a real purpose in life, then you're going to have four, at least four tragic consequences of that. Let me mention them real quick. Number one, life is going to seem meaningless to you. In other words, you do and you do, but yet it just seems like you're, you're missing out something along the way. Look at Ecclesiastes 1 verses 2 and 3. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labors at which he toils under the sun? And so in other words, you spend all your life working. What does that work really mean? And if it really doesn't mean anything, then why even get out of bed in the morning? If somebody else could do your job and, and it, it really doesn't mean anything, what, what's the use? What's the purpose? He says that that's, that's meaningless. So there's got to be something more than just work. Uh, somebody that goes through that without any goal, without any purpose in life, uh, it's just going to be meaningless. Here's number two. Life seems tiresome. You're just going to get weary. Um, it just Life seems to go in circles and you just never, ever are done. Look at verse five. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow from the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place that the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. In other words, this wearisome just kind of leads to life, just, just an endless cycle, that you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, you might think, man, I'm just putting up my Christmas lights. I just took them down just not too long ago. And it's just, it's just like this meaningless cycle that you go through in life. Um, also, when I was studying for this, I, I read a story. A, a 50-year-old man, Chinese man, holds the record for plate spinning. He spun 20,000 revolutions in four and a half hours. And I'm thinking, what's the use? You know, uh, do you ever feel like that's your life sometimes? That you're just spinning and spinning and spinning and just not really going anywhere? Your life is just sickers. Round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Here's number three, tragedy. Life seems insignificant. That there's no, there's, there's no depth. There's no real meaning and purpose in life. Look at verse 11. There's no remembrance of men of old 
And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Uh, you don't believe that? Name the last 10 Super Bowl championships. Name the last 10 presidents of the United States. It's like fame is so fleeting, and we, don't, we can't even remember some of the most important famous people in, in, in order. Um, you, how many of us go to our 20, 25th year high school reunion, and, and you see somebody and think, oh, they, they haven't changed a bit. I, I would show you a prom picture if I had. I don't have a prom picture. I'm not sure they had color photography back then. <laughs> but I did, I did find an old picture of my wedding. Uh, and, and you go to these high school reunions and say, wow, you haven't changed a bit. You liar. It's like, it's like, you need to go to the optometrist, okay? When's the last time you saw the eye doctor? It's like, you have changed. But you see people, and, and you, you know what you say? You all know this. You've been there before. You say, oh, you look great. You haven't changed a bit. Liar. You know what I've come to the conclusion? If you're lying, but you know you're lying, and God knows you're lying, that's the same as like telling the truth, okay? So, um, okay, I'm just getting there, right? Um, but but you, we do change. But, but you, don't rem- you may remember some of the people from time to time, but you don't remember what they did unless it's something for eternity, that you're going to be an eternity forever and ever in heaven. Here's number four. Tragically, life seems uncontrollable. Look at verse 15. What is twisted cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, when your life has no purpose... You feel like you don't have any control over things. You feel like you're powerless to fix things when things break. You, you, you just end up being one big ball of frustration because you, you, you can't control things in life. And you have this haunting question of, well, so what? A, a life without an ultimate purpose really is not much of a life at all. And so the Bible is very clear about what our purpose in life is, what the goal for every one of us ought to be. Do you know what that is? Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Do you notice that God was thinking about you before the creation of the world. Before he created, he was thinking about you. And part of his purpose was he wanted to adopt you into his family through Jesus Christ so that you could be a part of that family forever and ever because we were built to have a relationship with God and we were to learn to love him and to serve him and to honor him all of our life. You, if you don't figure that out, you have missed your whole purpose in life. Life is more than just about being born and growing up and going to school and getting a good job and getting married and having kids and working all your life and retiring and dying. Life is more important than that. God gives us a goal that he wants to have a relationship with us and he wants to put us in a family where we are all in together for eternity. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 1. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things under one head, even Christ. Now I am in the circle
prepare us for eternity. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You are made for eternity, every one of us, to be put in this family forever. Now, once you understand that in eternity, does it make sense why sometimes the, uh, the temporary just doesn't really satisfy in our life and we get something new and before long we have to get something new again and before awfully long we're looking forward to Black Friday because it's like, well, we need something new and we need to buy things. For new. And, and it doesn't really ultimately satisfy because that's just temporary. Our life is built up in eternity. Look what Max Lucado said. Take a fish and place him on a beach. Watch his gills gasp and his scales dry. Is he happy? No. How do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you get him, uh, get him a timeshare and a beach chair? Do you bring a copy of Playfish magazine and, and a martini? Do you wardrobe him double-breast fins and people skin shoes? Well, of course not. You put him back in his element. You put him back in the water, and he will never be happy on the beach because he was not made for the beach. We're made for eternity. We're made for a relationship with God. And until we understand that, it, it's not really going to quite, quite make sense. But once we understand that, then the big question is, how do I use my life to prepare for the ultimate goal, which is eternity? If I'm going to spend eternity forever and ever, how do I use my life right here to make it count for eternity? Here's the most important thing. If you walk out of here, don't get anything else, get this one. You have got to get to know Jesus. Jesus is the only way that goes, that goes to heaven. And until you know him, you're never going to be able to understand that. And until you figure that out, uh, you're never going to be able to understand life. And until you, until you answer the question, whose am I? You're never really going to be able to figure out who am I? Because all of that is connected with God. You are made for eternity. Look at John chapter 1, uh, getting to know Jesus. Uh, in fact, let's read this aloud. Let's read it together. To all who receive him... To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's us in eternity. Let's read it again to make sure that we've got that. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so when we understand that, then all of a sudden we're all in because we're part of God's family. Uh, I am his child. You're his child. We're a family in Jesus Christ. That's why we are all in. Uh, and I know who I am because of whose I am. I have been adopted by my heavenly father and he placed me in a, in a family and he wants me to be all in. Now, if we're going to be all in, here's three things that we need to do. And this is the how-to when you get to know Jesus Christ. And as you mature, you're going to have all three of these things happen. They're all critical. Here's number one. I've got to use my time in view of eternity. Okay, if I'm going to live forever, then I need to use my time in view of eternity, what I do and what really makes a difference. I really think one of Satan's best strategies is if he can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Because all of a sudden you get so busy, you don't have time to do the things that are most important. In my line of work, it never ceases to amaze me how people are so busy doing so many things that are so important and you let a death in the family happen and they'll drop everything to go be with their family because they realize that that is much more important but you know what happens most of the time we as people let the urgent take the place of the important 
the important sometimes is not as urgent. So we let the urgent, we have to do all the urgent, but no, the important thing. And so uh, use your time in view of eternity. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. My life is worth nothing unless I finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. So let me ask you a question. What are you doing right now to use your time for eternity? Because if we're going to live forever, that's what's critical. Here's number two. I've got to use my talents in view of eternity. If I'm going to live forever, then what talents have got? If I'm going to be part of the body, then I need to use that in the body because that's how the body functions. Everybody has a part. In other words, get out of the bleachers, get out of pews, and get in the game. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. God has bought me with a great price. Therefore, I am to honor God with my body. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. And so if I'm going to live forever, I need to use the talents that God has given me, whatever they are, large or small, and I need to use them for God. Let me tell you, by the way, that that's not necessarily going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Moses to stand before Pharaoh and demanded that he let God's people go. It wasn't easy maybe for Noah to receive ridicule all the time that he was building the ark until it started raining. It wasn't easy maybe for Daniel to continue to pray, even though he was going to be thrown into a lion's den. So using your gifts and your talents in God's kingdom doesn't always mean it's going to be easy and doesn't mean that you're not going to face hardships of some kind. And sometimes when we start thinking about talents, we think, well, you know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of talents, but I'm not one of them. I I really can't do too much. You know, I heard a story about a lumberjack the company was looking for, for workers, other lumberjackers at Jackson. This little guy came in. He was just kind of a scrawny, pip, squeak kind of a guy. And, and the boss, you know, he says, oh, you've got to be big and robust, kind of muscular. If you're going to cut big trees down, you've got you to be with us. So he's talking to this little scrawny guy. And this guy says, no, I can do the job. I can do that. No, I don't think you can do the job. He says, oh, really? Give me a chainsaw. So the little dude took a chainsaw, and he went out, he started cutting trees like crazy. In fact, the guy said, man, I've never seen anybody cut trees like you cut trees. He says, where in the world did you learn to cut trees like that? He said, I learned that in the Sahara forest. And he said, you mean the Sahara desert? He said, well, that's what they call it now. Um, Listen, there are no weak, insignificant people in God's kingdom. We'll all be used for different gifts and talents and abilities as God purposes them together. Uh, we have businessmen and women that now use their business as a way to advance the kingdom of God because they found that's a niche and that's a purpose that they can enhance the kingdom of God because of that. We have men and women that devote their life as a mom and a dad to make a difference in the eternity in the lives of their children because that's so important. And, and we could go on with lots and lots of illustrations, but I think, that, I think that you get the idea. That's what I'm here. That's what I live for. Number three. Not only not my time, my talents. Here's number three. I've got to use my treasures in view of eternity. In other words, this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where it separates the men from the boys. Look at Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know why? They're temporary. Moths and vermin destroy. Thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, live for eternity. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That is the real key. Where is my heart? Because where my heart is, that's where my treasure is. Let's say if I did a survey among Americans, and I would would ask this question, is it important uh, for diet and exercise? And I would say most Americans would say, yeah, it's very important for diet and exercise. It's really important. 
But a lot of Americans don't really diet and exercise. In fact, do you know what the number one popular uh, food is at the state fair? Bacon cheeseburger with Krispy Kreme donut buns. And you pay a little extra for chocolate-covered bacon. You know, it's like like we know one thing, but we don't always do it, do we? Oh, I'm going to diet and exercise. Well, here comes Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, oh, yeah, I just finished the kids' Halloween candy. Um, You know, it's... Let me put it another way. People say, well, I believe in the importance of the family. But as soon as they get a, a job that ca- causes them to raise more money or to have more money, then sometimes they will sacrifice their family for the good of that job. And it shows where the real priorities are. Jesus said, he goes on to say in that passage, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. On every one of my mission trips, we have a book that we go through. We have them read it before, prepare their hearts. We use devotions out of that book. Several years ago, uh, maybe six, six or nine years ago, we led a trip to Africa, and I used a book called Primal uh, by Mark Batterson. And I just, uh, I mark up my books when I read them. And I just happened to, the other day it was laying on my desk and I was going through it. And I saw this quote that just really stuck out in my mind. Uh, and it was this, I jotted it down, wrote it in the sermon. One of the turning points of my life, this is Mark Batterson speaking. One of the turning points of my life came the day I stopped setting income goals and started setting giving goals. And it changed his life. Wow. One guy was telling a story about a, they were having a special offering at, at uh, Thanksgiving time for their church. And, and so they had talked about the giving. And one lady wrote a check for $50. And she came up and gave it to the pastor. And she says, is, uh, is this gift satisfactory? And he looked at the gift and he says, well, it's, it's okay if it represents you. So she thought about it for a few minutes and she took the check back. She came back a couple days later and she had a check for $5,000. She gave it to the pastor and she said, here, is this gift satisfactory? And he said, well, sure, if, if it represents you. And that just really got to her. And she, she asked for the check back. A few days later, she came back and she wrote a check for $50,000 and gave it to the pastor and said, after earnest, earnestly praying and prayerful thought, I've come to the conclusion that this gift does represent me and I'm happy to give it in just a few moments we're going to take up an offering and I think that's probably the most important does it represent you we moved it to the end of the service because our giving whether we realize it or not is an act of worship when we come we hear the word we sometimes sing the songs we take communion but but when we give it is giving of ourselves it's giving of all week long what we've earned and what we it's sacrifice it's giving our talents in light of eternity. And I just want to ask the question, does it represent you? Look at what the book of Deuteronomy says. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way that the Lord your God has blessed you. We don't want to force anybody. Here's what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you should give whatever you decide in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because you have to. For God loves a cheerful giver. We want you to be a cheerful giver. And that gives us an opportunity to make a difference in all of Medina County through our work. You know, if you really want to know how somebody's doing spiritually, all you have to do is look at their checkbook. There is no greater sign 
of a spiritual maturity than the checkbook. It doesn't lie. It gives your priorities. It gives your purpose. It gives your passion in life. It is the best barometer I know of a spiritual life. Why do we do what we do? Why do we want to get in the game? Why do we want to live forever? Why do we give our time, our talents, and our treasures for the kingdom of God? And so in a few moments as we take up this offering, I just pray that we find it as an act of worship and that just truly, whatever it is, it represents you as you come before God. Let's pray.